Before we begin, um, I'm going to start with a word of prayer. So let's, let's do that. Father, Son, Spirit, even now as I pray, I'm just pausing to take a few deep breaths and just to be reminded of your presence with us wherever we are, intimately present with us, as close as our very breath. Help us to hear from you this morning. Help us to... uh, engage with you, to go deeper in our relationship with you, to be challenged where you want to challenge us and encourage us where you want to encourage us. God, we just, we thank you for the stuff we've been learning in this book called Proverbs and just how a sentence can hold so much power. Um, We pray this morning that you would give us vision of how to not just hear these words and to think about them or even agree with these words, but help us to know how to translate them in the way we live. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So today we're diving into week five of our fall sermon series on the book of Proverbs called Get Wisdom. As a quick review, we have been learning that the book of Proverbs is part of the Old Testament, and within the Old Testament, it's in the subsection that we call the wisdom literature. And we learned that much of the book is made up of a compilation of hundreds of these kind of short sayings, these discourses, almost like a playlist, Greg mentioned last week, all written mostly by King Solomon among some other authors as well. And in short, the book is basically about gaining wisdom for life, which is something every human being is looking for. It's not unique to Christianity. It's not unique to any religious background or any belief system. It's a universal thing. We all want to experience life to the best of our abilities, and we want wisdom to know how to do that. We also learned about this book that it has this kind of odd kind of structure that instead of just starting with various Proverbs, like we think, starting with verse 1 as it kind of introduces us, instead of doing that, what it does is it gives us these 10 long, cohesive speeches, these images of this father to a son, interwoven with these poems from this character named Lady Wisdom to humanity. This father and Lady Wisdom are then contrasted with these other two characters called the, the Wicked Man and Lady Folly. And then it's not really until chapter 10 where we actually start diving into the actual Proverbs that we kind of think should be happening right at the very beginning. Why? Why does it do this? Like it says the book of Proverbs, it starts off saying this, and then we have these nine chapters that feel totally different. Well, what we learned is that the point of the first nine chapters is to paint a picture for us of the day-to-day life and the choices that we're making at every moment with every situation. The question is, will we make a wise choice or a foolish choice? Will we choose to listen to Lady Wisdom and ultimately the Holy Spirit of God, or will we listen to Lady Folly and the ways of the world? And the book tells us over and over again that the key to being wise in how we live all starts with this idea of the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 9, 10 says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's where it starts. And we've discussed this concept from a lot of different angles throughout this series. But one of the ones we talked about was this idea of fearing the Lord, meaning actually just taking God seriously. 
acknowledging that God is real, that God is present, that God is at work around, in, and through us, and in and around and through everyone and every moment that we're in, that it's owning that we are not God, nor do we know what's best, and so as a result, we, we respect God for who God is, and we, we listen to and submit to God's ways as opposed to other directions. And we talked about this taking God seriously is not just a knowing thing, but it's a believing thing that's lived out in the realities of our day-to-day life. And, and the book of Proverbs says this is where wisdom begins. It starts with us taking God seriously. So today we're going to be discussing something that every one of us has experience with, something we all use wisely as well as foolishly at times, if not from moment to moment. And it's something that we have experience with all the time, wherever we go. And it has to do with our words, the words that we use. And I believe this topic is super important for us today, um, and it's something we're supposed to be really aware of in our day-to-day, because our, our culture right now and the language that's being used all the time is not always matching what is considered wise. This topic about words is talked about a ton in the book of Proverbs. In fact, the subject of how we use our words is perhaps the most preeminent theme of the book. It shows upwards to 150 times throughout the book of Proverbs, which is more than it talks about sex, more than it talks about marriage and family and relationships and finances. And so if you were to take all of those around 150 proverbs and try to sum them up in one sentence, you'd basically get Proverbs 18.21, which says, the tongue has the power of life and death. And now again, this simple sentence, we probably all go, yeah, okay, I know that. We've experienced both the power of words bringing life and death as we've spoken them to others and as we've received them from others, right? So we get this. We, in ourselves know that our words have immense power. And if you think about it, God created the universe into being with words. God spoke, and it was so. And we also see in the text that, that our Lord Jesus is called the Word, John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so we see, and and we've all known this simply, that our words are important because they have power, but they're also important because of how many we use in our day-to-day. Now, there's lots of different studies out there that talk about the number of words a person uses in their day-to-day life. And there's a lot of studies that compare gender as well. A real recent study in the last year and a half by Dr. Matthias Mel showed that there's actually no difference between gender on the amount of words we use in our day-to-day life. And that the average person spoke 16,000 words a day. Not different from male or female to gender in any way, and the average person speaks 16,000 words a day. Now, this study counters Um, A number you may have heard by this popular article back in the day that kind of created this picture that that men really only speak like 5,000 words and women speak like 20,000, right? And it was this kind of study that, that shows this really big difference. This one shows something very different. Men and women 
at their core are very much the same. The other interesting thing about this new study is that if you look at the extreme ends of the survey, so for example, one person spoke the least amount of words, 795 words in the day. Whereas on the other extreme, there was someone that spoke 47,000 words in a day. If you look at both the extremes, they were both men, which is kind of interesting, right? Very different from what we've been told in some of these past studies. Again, it doesn't really matter the study. It doesn't matter the exact number of words. What's the point? Well, if you think about it, if you are an average person, you speak, let's say, 16,000 words in any given day, how many of those words are you speaking with purpose? How many of those 16,000 words have been thought through before they came out of your mouth? How many of those 16,000 words have you known ahead of time what the consequences would be and then chose those words because of the consequences that would come? And if we're being honest, it's a very sobering thought, right? And yet so important. And so the book of Proverbs takes this seriously, showing it to be one of the most important themes of the book. And it reminds us that to be people who use their words wisely, they need to know that our words have power, the power of life and death, and that the beginning of wisdom with regards to having wise words starts with taking God seriously. So with that, let me ask you, do you really believe your words have the power of life and death? Do you believe that the God of the universe wants us to care about our words? Do you believe what Jesus says in Matthew 12, 36, where he says, but I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. Be accountable for every word. So for the rest of our time, I want to hit a number of Proverbs to show us some helpful things to think about with regards to our words, to how we think about what it means to be wise with our words and how to use them in a way when we consider the power of life and death. And in order to do so, um, we're going to look at the difference between what the scriptures describe as destructive or foolish words in comparison to constructive wise words. And as we do, I want you to be thinking about your own experience with each of these and the effects that they've had on your relationships. Because the reality is we have experience with all of these wise kind of constructive words, but we also have experience with the destructive ones, both in giving and receiving. And they've all affected our relationship. So as we talk about them, I want you to be taking some time to think about your experience with these as well. So, first off, let's look at some destructive ways our words can be used. And before we do, it's important to know that there's some understanding about this topic in Proverbs, particularly with regards to these, there's a comparison that we see between true and false words, and particularly that there's this belief in Proverbs that our words express what's going on in our heart. That it's not just words themselves that have power, but how we use our words as well, and that every word we use is tied to reality or not. And it comes from the very depths of our being. 
And so, for example, a fool speaks words that are false, and this can happen in many ways, all of which misrepresent reality and have an intent to harm. So relationally speaking, we get this. Twelve, uh, Proverbs 12, 6 says this, the words of the wicked are like a murderous ambush, but the words of the godly save lives. So relationally speaking, the words of the fool don't bring people together, rather they tear them apart. And these kinds of words can take lots of different forms. Particularly, the largest category of what we consider foolish words in the book of Proverbs is what we call lies. A lie misrepresents the truth and deceives the hearer. And Proverbs talks about lies being so bad that it's even listed as one of six things that God hates in Proverbs chapter 6. But Proverbs 25, 18 describes the harm lies do to others in really powerful words. Look at this. Proverbs 25, uh, 18 says, telling lies about others is as harmful as hitting them with an ax, wounding them with a sword, or shooting them with a sharp arrow. I mean, I don't want any of those experiences, right? I mean, those are extremely painful situations. That's, that's what Proverbs is saying about lies. A lie harms us in many ways, but two in particular is that it misrepresents the past so that a recipient acts on false knowledge, or it misrepresents the future so the recipient depends on an agreed-upon condition that never happens. Can you think of anything in our culture right now that maybe feels like this? This kind of language is saturating our world. According to Proverbs, this kind of language is fostered by hatred. It's used to hide one's hatred or to disguise one's true feelings. Proverbs also says that lies may be sweet at first and sound great, but they're always short-lived. And Proverbs teaches that ultimately lying will eventually destroy the person lying and quite often the person who's being lied about. And so it's not hard for us to see how this type of language is around us all the time. Now, the second type of destructive speech is what we call arguments. In this case, a wise person doesn't avoid hard words when needed, but the fool seems to pick fights just for the sake of fighting. And in this case, fools are people who like to quarrel and get into them quickly. And we can probably all think of people who are like this. Proverbs 26, 21 says, A quarrelsome person starts fights as easily as hot embers, light charcoal, or fire lights wood. Can we think of times where there's quarrelsome, argumentative language in our culture? Now, on the other hand, the wise do their best not to get involved in these. It says this in 26.17, interfering in someone else's argument is as foolish uh, as yanking a stray dog's ears. If you've ever, I mean, my dog is not a stray, but she doesn't like you messing with her ears, but um, you can get a sense. If you've never yanked on a stray dog's ears, it's probably, you're probably better off. Don't try it. Um, it's a big deal. And again, with Proverbs, what's fascinating is that we hear these things and we go, I know this. Right? Arguments disrupt relationships, which is not to say that we should never get into arguments, 
But it is wise to pick and choose which fights we take on. See, what often happens in the midst of an argument is that our emotions get really high, which causes our ability to reason to go way down. And this can lead to another type of foolish language, which is called insult and slander. Now, Proverbs 10, 18 says this, hiding hatred makes you a liar, slandering others makes you a fool. Or here's a good one, Proverbs 20, 20. If you insult your father or mother, the lamp of your life will be snuffed out. Don't we all want our kids to learn that one, right? But here's the thing, I'll be honest in my own story, thinking about arguments. I've been aware of how easy I have been picking fights. Why didn't you clean up your room? Why didn't you do your chores? Why didn't you walk the dog? How come you're going to bed so late? How come you're still on your phone? How come you didn't put your dishes away? You name it. And can you imagine if all I'm doing is arguing, picking fights, and all of the emotions high and all the reasons low, that is not an environment that's fostering flourishing relationships. And yet we do this all the time. Scripture says the fool may sometimes attack another person head-on using words to make a malicious statement about character or actions or appearance. But again, it's not that a wise person only says nice things about another, but the intention of the fool is that of an insult or slander. It's only to hurt, to belittle, or to demean the other, which again shows the destructiveness that these kinds of things can have on relationship. And that idea of using our language to hurt, belittle, and demean is so prevalent in our world right now. Now, another form of destructive language that we see is gossip or rumors. Proverbs eleven thirteen says, a gossip goes around telling secrets, but those who are trustworthy can keep a confidence. Or Proverbs eighteen eight says, rumors are dainty morsels that sink deep into one's hearts. According to Proverbs, rumors are negative reports about other people that are based on uncertain evidence. They are spread to injure the other, not to help them. They are used to destroy a person's character and integrity. Can we think of any avenues where this kind of language is happening? Gossip may at times even turn out to be true, but that doesn't exonerate a person who speaks it to others, according to Proverbs. If true, at the very least, the report is being given at inappropriate times to inappropriate people. And what's also interesting about telling rumors and sharing gossip in Proverbs is that it's also not good to listen to them. So Proverbs 17.4 says, wrongdoers eagerly listen to gossip. Liars pay close attention to slander. And yet we get really into rumors. We, that kind of language is something that's very enticing. Now, there's two last examples of destructive words that I want to hit. One is called flattering, and the other one is called bragging. Now, flattery and bragging, though different in many ways, both intentionally speak better than is deserved of another or oneself. 
And it's often with the similar purpose of self-promotion. So one flatters by excessively complimenting others with the hidden purpose of getting something for oneself or even harming the other. And so with flattery, appearances do not reflect reality and it's often used as a form of manipulation or seduction. This is something we see Lady Folly do a lot. Now, on the other hand, bragging presents a better picture of the person that is warranted. But according to Proverbs, even if you've accomplished something that's really great, it's not wise to promote yourself. In fact, Proverbs 27 verse 2 says, let someone else praise you and not your own mouth, an outsider and not your own lips. But we like, in our culture, we like to promote ourselves. We like to to acknowledge all of our accomplishments and point them out. And typically, if we're being really honest, it's usually to make ourselves look better than we are and to be in comparison to somebody else. So what we've seen is that lies, deceptions, rumors, gossip, insults, slander, boasting, flattery, and bragging, these are all kind of an arsenal of foolish speech. And if we're being really honest, all of these tools are being used around us so much. And not just that it's being used around us, but if we're really being honest, we very naturally move into these types of forms of speech as well. At the end of the day, this type of foolish language reflects the speech of the leader, which is Lady Folly, who lies and deceives to harm her hearers, as it says in Proverbs 9. The words of fools harm others and ultimately at least injure those who speak them as well. And so then, in contrast, as the words of fools reflect Lady Folly, so the words of the wise according to Proverbs, reflect that of Lady Wisdom. Now, if you remember back in chapter 8, we heard from Lady Wisdom. This is what she says. Lady Wisdom says, My mouth speaks what is true, for my lips detest wickedness. All the words of my mouth are just. None of them is crooked or perverse. To the discerning, all of them are right. They are upright to those who have found knowledge. So in comparison, what we see is the words of the wise are true and helpful. They heal rather than wound. They give life rather than death. Proverbs 10, 11 says, the words of the wise are a life-giving fountain. The words of the wicked conceal violent intentions. According to Proverbs, the words of the wise, again, in contrast to the evil words or the foolish The words of the wise typically are few and gentle. In fact, there's this major aspect of the teaching in the book of Proverbs about the importance of silence. Proverbs 13.3 says this, Those who control their tongue will have a long life. Opening your mouth can ruin everything. Anybody ever been in a situation where it feels like the minute you open your mouth, everything goes badly, right? And we have some people that we know that you're just kind of almost like, please don't speak, because you just have this sense that that something's going to happen that's not going to go well. What's interesting about silence in our words is Proverbs says that silence can even mask the ignorance of fools. 
According to Proverbs 17, it says, even fools are thought to be wise when they keep silent. With their mouths shut, they seem intelligent. Maybe you've been in that situation when you're in class and the teacher is calling on people and you're just like, I'm just going to sit back quiet. I have no idea what's going on here, but I'm just going to kind of look like I know what's going on. And there you go. It can even help the foolish look wise. Now, we also see in Proverbs um, the examples of what we might call good and pleasant words. These are words of the righteous that are like a well of life, the text says, that they're more valuable than choice silver, that they feed the soul and bring health to our bones. And similarly, we talk about comforting words. These words um, show care for others. They, they, um, those who are anxious feel cared for. Those who are depressed feel comforted. And they bring about hearts full of gladness. So again, if we think about this idea of the root expression of our words displaying what's going on in our heart, these types of words, the words that are calm, that are, that are in pause, that are pleasant and comforting, these kind of words reveal the good heart of the person speaking them. Now, another sign of wise words is seen in, in how the words are actually delivered. So Proverbs 15.4 says, Gentle words are a tree of life. A deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. And again in Proverbs 16.24, Kind words are like honey sweet to the soul and healthy for the body. And so we see here, again, this power of a gentle word, but we're also seeing language around this idea of what's called a well-timed word. Proverbs 15, 23 says, a person finds joy in giving an apt reply. And how good is a timely word? Exclamation point. How good is a timely word? These words are not just well-timed, but they've been well thought out, well thought through in order to give the best kind of response, the most care and concern to whoever it is we're talking to. Proverbs 15, 28 says, The heart of the righteous weighs its answers, but the mouth of the wicked gushes evil. <laughs> what a word choice. Gushes evil. And so with this, it's not hard to see how gentle and timely, well-thought-out words reveal the heart and the wisdom of a speaker, a person talking. And Proverbs goes on, gives another important distinction of wise words we see in Proverbs is what we might call a controlled word. And this is not controlled like in a manipulative way. It's in controlling one's word that Proverbs says we have the ability to diffuse potential violent situations, that it helps keep our souls out of trouble and it helps us preserve life. Proverbs 13 says, those who guard their lips preserve their lives, but those who speak rashly will come to ruin. And again, in chapter 15, it says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise adorns knowledge, but the mouth of the fool gushes folly. There's the gushing again. <laughs> Does it feel like sometimes the language around us is gushing with stuff that's not good. And so 
Controlled words, according to Proverbs, also reveal true knowledge and understanding that in sparing our words, we actually develop calm spirits. And as we think of this type of language, we can see how a controlled word can actually enhance the reputation of the person speaking. And so with all of this, with all this understanding of wise and foolish words, what we see is that the difference between these two could not be more opposite, right? It's the difference between truth and falsehood, deception and clarity, language in service of lady wisdom and language in service of lady folly. In our current culture, we so desperately need the body of Christ, the church, to be a light of the world in how we use our words and that we take it seriously as a matter of life and death. But do we? Are we representatives that speak with grace and truth, who use words that bring life, that are gentle and controlled and well-timed and thought out, words that build up, that are good and pleasant and helpful? Because we all initially go, yeah, that's what I want to be doing. When we read wisdom language like this, it's always easiest for us to go, yeah, that makes sense, because it's, it's wisdom. It's easy for us to agree with, but we have to stop every time and go, but how? How do we do this? And again, I think it starts with this question we've been getting at each week. Do we take God seriously? Do we believe that our words really matter? That they're powerful? That they have the ability to bring life or death to any relationship? Not just sometimes, and not just with some people, but every time with every person. So we need to start with that question. And you, you can only answer that yourself. But I do want to give us a couple other suggestions, kind of some practices. I'm not going to give you a bunch of them, but I think these are practices that if we started using would help us be a little more wise with our words. So with that, practice that can help us. Number one, slow down. <laughs> Everything in our culture is saying, go fast. Interject. Speak yourself. If you don't, you're not going to be heard. Yada, yada, yada. Wrong. Slow down. I am convinced that if we all slowed ourselves down when it came to our conversations, everyone would benefit. How about pausing before you respond? How about taking a couple deep breaths? And as you take those deep breaths, realize that the words that come out of your mouth are that intimately connected to the breath of God in you. How about when you see that social media post that gets you all amped up, you don't respond for 24 hours? What if we actually let the other person finish what they're saying instead of trying to cut them off? James 1:19 says it, be quick to listen, slow to speak. Again, James is essentially wisdom language. And so you read it and you go, that makes total sense. Whether we do it or not is a whole different thing. We need to slow down. The second one is to be curious. And I wish I had time, I'd show you a clip from Ted Lasso but I'd have to edit a bunch of words out of it, so it'd be hard for me to do. Um, but it's fantastic. But this idea of being curious is this idea of seeing the other, whoever that other is, 
as an embodied mystery. No matter who they are, even if it's someone you feel like you've known better than anyone you know, we have to approach people with curiosity, recognizing them as an image bearer. And with that curiosity, we ask questions. And the challenge is not just to be curious about new content. It's easier for us to hear something new and find curiosity. What's not as easy is to find curiosity in the familiar. Because see, what happens is someone starts telling us something and we automatically skip experience, go straight to meaning making, and we think we know everything about the situation and we don't listen. We aren't curious. Because the reality is my experience of a Sounders game is gonna be different from somebody else's, even though we're in the same game. And so I have to show curiosity because it takes effort, but the, the, the posture of curiosity is one that invites transformation. And that's what fosters healthy relationships. So slow down, be curious. The next one is what I call listen to yourself, listen which I'm teaching some uh, classes at my grad school, and one of the classes is called Listening Lab. It's a fascinating class, and I'm really excited to be teaching the content. And this is one of the practices, listening to yourself, listen. What does that mean? It means when you're sitting with someone, you're talking with someone, even on social media where that person is not present, being aware of what's going on inside of you as you engage that relationship. So, for example, are you feeling anxious, intimidated, tired, distracted, are you hungry? Are you feeling disconnected or confused? Is your heart pounding? Are you hot or cold? Are there triggers or alarms going off in your soul? You see, all these things going on inside of you affect how you relate to others. And as a result, they most definitely affect the way you respond to others. But we get so busy, we're so moving, we're so quick to make meaning that we very rarely pay attention to the experience that's even going on in ourselves, let alone what's going on with the person in front of us. So we need to slow down, be curious, and pay attention to what's going on inside of us. Listen to ourselves, listen, and allow that to be part of the experience and honest about that as we relate to one another. Four taking up a posture of learning versus doing. Now, if we're being really honest about our culture, we all think we know everything and we all know what's right. And we always know what to do. And even if we don't, we will do everything we can to act as if we do, right? We don't like to look as if we don't know what we're doing. What if we approached our conversations, in our debates, in our differences, in our arguments, with the posture of learning from the other. You see, we're so quick, again, to make meaning out of everything that we rarely allow ourselves space to simply learn and to experience something new. And I talk about this with people when they come and they have strong opinions, they're dealing with a family member that maybe has really different political experiences or stances on things. Um, and want to deal with that, right? And, and our natural instinct is that we have to change the other person, that, that if we could just get them to think the way I do, then everything's going to be great. But what if we actually just had something to learn from this person who's different from us? Instead of trying to change them, we just had something new to experience. 
Because what happens is in doing is that we always think we have the right answer. So we want to interject, we want to interrupt, we want to give you the instruction, we want to tell you what to do, and we skip the learning part, and we just go straight to that, and people feel missed. And no one wants to feel missed in relationship. And when we feel missed, we tend to use foolish language. Last one. Remember the faithful presence of the Spirit. I think one of the number one ways we start taking God more seriously is when we actually realize the Holy Spirit is with us, as close as our very breath at every moment and in every situation. And so we need to practice being aware of the presence of God through the Spirit as it helps us listen, as it helps us respond in the Spirit. So do some things to help you remember, right? Um, at the grad school I, I teach at, they have um, certain hours in the day where a chime goes off. It's just like an alarm. And it's just to remind you to pause and to recognize the Spirit. So maybe set a couple of alarms on your phone or something. It just goes off and just reminds you to pause for a moment and pray. Maybe it's um, putting some sticky notes around various places as a reminder. Maybe one in front of the, the sink when you're doing dishes and one in the bathroom mirror and one on your computer at work or on your dashboard that just says, remember the Holy Spirit is with you. Just reminders. One practice I do to remind myself of the presence of the Spirit is to light candles. It's a reminder of this active work of the Spirit right there in my room, right there moving. What if we made more aware of ourselves of the presence of the Holy Spirit with us. It would affect how we take things seriously, I think. Now, I got to stop talking a lot. Thank you for your patience and being with me. As we end, though, I hope that you have been reminded of an incredibly important truth, and that is that our words, all 16,000 a day, have power, the power of life and death, power to tear down or to build up. And I hope that you hear both a challenge and an invitation from Lady Wisdom and the Holy Spirit to be wise with our words. And I hope you think about those relationships that are really hard. How, how could you bring some wisdom to your words in how you engage with those people? And I hope you take some time to think about some of the, the foolish ways you may use your words and ask the Holy Spirit to help you with that. But I also hope that you are reminded of the faithful presence of God with you and that in doing so, you would take God seriously as you talk with people. Can you imagine what it would be like if the church took God seriously with regards to how we view our words, how we use our words, how we engage with one another, what that could do? May we be softened to hearing from the Spirit and responding to the Spirit as we speak. Now, I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward. I appreciate your presence with me. Um, as they do, they're going to play instrumentally just for a few moments to give us some space to ponder. Again, pause and just take a couple deep breaths and think about what we've just heard. What is the Spirit saying to us? And, and with that, I have a couple questions of reflection that I would love to hear your thoughts on. Um, and if you're willing to, you can use the online connection card. Or if you're in here, there's a connection card on your seat. And I'd love to hear your thoughts. But... Um, couple things to think about. One, of the foolish ways we use words, which are some of the ways you struggle with most? 
lies, deception, rumor, gossip, insult, slander, boasting, flattery, or bragging. Now, let's just be really honest. We all struggle with all of these. Don't feel shame about that as a reality of us being human. So it's not an idea to be shameful. It's more just let's, let's own some of this and think about how we can invite God to help us with that. So what are one of the things you struggle with? Number two, of the wise words that we talked about, which ones are strengths and which ones are weaknesses? Words that are full of grace and truth, that are helpful, good, and pleasant, gentle, comforting, thought out, and well-timed. And number three, of the practices we discuss, which do you already practice and which one would you like to try out this week? Slowing down, being curious, listening to ourselves listen, taking up a posture of learning versus doing, or remembering the presence of the Holy Spirit with you. There you go. I'd love to hear your thoughts if you'd be willing to share. Feel free, though, as the band plays instrumental to use the space to pray, to confess, to own, to give thanks, to dream, uh, to be filled, whatever you feel called to in this time. I really suggest, though, before you do anything, before you start even writing, just give yourself a few moments to close your eyes, take a few deep breaths, listen. Please note that, yes? You had such a great list of different proverbs. Yes. Can you sort of send them out just as the proverbs because there's so many there? Yes, there was a lot. (laughs) Yes, I will do that. I will send a list out to you guys in our email with a list of proverbs on the topic. So yes, thank you, Claire. Um, As I talk to Claire, I'm reminded the prayer team is available as Mark and Claire are here. So if you're present in the room, they're up here. If you're online, all you have to do is use the the request prayer button on the left side of your chat line. Um, On either end, if you come in here and they look like they're on their computer, it's because they're praying with someone. If you're online and you haven't gotten connected with, it's because they're probably praying with someone in the room. So just be aware and be patient. They will definitely come to pray with you in the order in which they have received your request. So please take advantage of that as we take some time to reflect. I'm going to close us with a word of prayer, and then um, the band will give us some space, and then we'll sing one last song of response. Let's pray. I confess, God, even now my own hesitancy is to go fast and not slow down. Thank you that you're with us. Thank you for your grace. We need it. We, we, we recognize that we are entrenched in a world that, that uses language that does not represent wisdom. It does not represent you, God, and it's so easy for us to fall into it. And so, Holy Spirit, we confess that, and we thank you for your grace, and we thank you that you're with us. You empower us that you literally can give us the words to speak, that we can hear from you and respond. And so, God, we, we just ask that you would help us to be more aware of your presence, that we would take you seriously, that we would, we would uh, live out the realities of the power of our words, that we would be more purposeful with our words, and that, Holy Spirit, um, you would show yourself to be leading us in this, that we would speak words of grace and truth. Yeah, so even now as we pause, help us dream about this and what this looks like. Help us to know who we need to confess to and own things to and who um, we need to care for. And, and God, just help us to be humble as we, we move forward thinking about these things. Yeah, and just 
Help us to be men and women who glorify you with our words. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.